Welcome to AMM Conversation, the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Please make sure to follow, rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. In this second episode of season three, I'm joined by industry veterans, RJ Lewis and Amy Turnquist. RJ is founder and CEO of eHealthcare Solutions. EHS exclusively represents 85 high quality healthcare publishers. EHS has been named a PM360 Trailblazer Company of the Year, and RJ previously was named to the Pharma Voice 100 list. Amy is Executive Vice President of Digital at eHealthcare Solutions. She is a recognized thought leader and frequent speaker at industry events, including i for pharma Digital Pharma East, and the Digital Health Coalition. She serves on AMM's Board of Directors. Let's start the conversation. You know, the year of the pandemic, let's call it, will be remembered for a lot of pain and anguish. But luckily, um, you know, healthcare's been crucial, been vital. You know, uh, they've been heroes during this crisis. Um, let's talk a little bit about HCP marketing and how it was able to weather the storm better than most. Um, RJ, could you start us off with a state of the business overview? Well, I think we all have a lot to be thankful for right now in that there definitely is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we're, we're sitting here um, at the tail end of 2020 and we're looking ahead and it looks as though the vaccines that have been approved are going to get produced and distributed and, you know, knock on wood, perhaps by sometime during the summertime, we're starting to get back to some degree of normalcy um, if all goes well. But in, in that respect, I think we have we have a lot to look forward to and to be thankful for. Um, one thing I think we're going to look back on when it comes to COVID is ever since farmers' reputation really kind of started to decline, and it was pretty bad there for a while. Um, you know, if, if you go way back to like the the 80s with the J and J Tylenol scare and the way they handled that, that was probably the height of kind of pharma's reputation. They had, they had a really good reputation at that point. And then, you know, for about 20, 25 years, there was this kind of decline to kind of just staying at the bottom, you know, down there with tobacco and, and uh, insurance and, and it just, pharma did not have a good reputation and they made some missteps and they deserved some of it, but probably not as much as they were getting. You know, there was a lot of pricing fiascos um, and, and abusive pricing, if you will. But I think we're going to look back at COVID as a pivotal change when that all changed. That showed not just the U.S., but the entire world, the importance of our industry. Um, and, and I think pharma is going to come out of this with a renewed opportunity. And, and hopefully they, they grasp that and they don't, um, they don't uh, harm it in any way but they're gonna come out with, with a little bit of a hero complex. I mean, they, they literally kind of saved the world here. Um, and that, that's a huge opportunity for pharma to um, maintain that and keep that momentum going. So I, I think the industry overall is actually, has done remarkable work and deserves a lot of that, a lot of that um, credit. Um, and hopefully they maintain that, that positivity. So within health, within our industry specifically, when you look at things like um, digital advertising, it's been very strong. Um, and, and the main reason for that, I think, is most of the tools that a marketer typically has available to them uh, just aren't available anymore. Um, so, you know, when, when the field force is effectively benched and they can't go in and make face-to-face -face calls, 
the annual conference meetings don't aren't happening and the booth presence and and the networking with kols um, they're just not happening or they're happening virtually in a very different way when the dinner meetings that your reps used to host all the time aren't happening you're kind of left with with a few options and advertising is is one of those probably the biggest one of those options and then specifically digital advertising and tv advertising are the two that really stand out as available because even print i think struggles right now especially if it's a b2b print i went into my office the other day first time in a long time and we just have a pile of magazines that have come and, and nobody's looking at them you know the, the folks who bought ads in those magazines um, probably aren't getting the value that they had hoped they, they got when they wrote that check. You know, overall, our industry, digital advertising has done well. Um, but the, the, the other industry that we have to mention here is, is the healthcare front lines themselves. Healthcare generally is, is recession proof. And, and you could look at COVID as, as a form of economic recession because people just don't stop aging and they don't stop getting sick. We have to, if anything, our healthcare frontline is busier than it's ever been. Uh, hospitals are overwhelmed. That's, that's one of the biggest challenges, right? So I, I think um, we, we all have to do what we can, obviously, to, to, to try and bend that curve down and flatten the curve so we can alleviate those folks because they're, they're being unfairly burdened right now. Thanks, RJ. A, a common theme that has emerged, even evolved the past six, nine months has been Pharma's new or accelerated emphasis on new ideas and innovations. You know, Amy, are you guys seeing the same trend as we head into 2021 as you have for the last six months? And if so, possibly more expectations from Pharma to, quote, think out of the box? Yeah, so I would, as RJ mentioned, just really chronicling what we've seen so far this year, we've seen you know, a lot of innovation really forced upon us. Uh, and we really are in a position right now where we have to think differently. So, you know, we know for those of us in the industry for the last probably six years, we've been seeing innovation titles creep up um, for people within pharma with titles like digital innovation um, and, and uh, focused on some of these newer technologies. But there hasn't been as much of a tolerance, I don't think, at, for innovation as we've had this year. Pharma, because we're in such a risk adverse industry, such so highly regulated, even though there's been a lot of talk about innovation, I'd say for the last five years, um, pharma hasn't really liked to rock the boat necessarily, but, but this year the boat was rocked for them. <laughs> so as RJ mentioned, all of these, these tools that they've relied on for so many years aren't there. Um, so where prior to 2020, uh, I think the, the message of innovation was really understood to be let somebody else try it first as a proof of concept for two years and then we'll innovate <laughs> in that direction. Um, that's definitely changed. Um, and we're seeing at EHS and I, uh, from others that I talk to in the industry, just a real push for new ideas. Um, the RFPs that we're getting in for 2021 are asking for you know, new first to market opportunities, what's never been done before. There seems to be just really this, this requirement to think differently. Um, and then the opportunities for the agencies and our partners to be the first to bring some of these ideas to market. Um, so definitely I see that headed into 2021 based on what we're seeing already in terms of proposals that have um, gone out and business that's coming in for 2021. Um, that seems to be, this is the year I think of innovation for us headed into next year. And I would imagine that that continues specifically for the tactics that perform well. Amy talked about the boat being rocked for them. Um, uh, that's evidenced by a poll that we did on the Pharma Marketing Network where we asked people um, who led the digital transformation at your company. And it was kind of a, a, a humorous poll uh, where the options were your CEO, your CTO, your CMO, or COVID-19. 
Um, and 81% of the people said COVID-19. <laughs> the, the CEO barely got any credit and the CTO and CMO ended up with about 9%. Uh, COVID-19 definitely drove a transformation much faster than uh, people had been planning for. That's basically you know, the experience we've had in the past, right? Anything new or out of the box was, was a proof of concept, right? You know, as long as it doesn't cost us a lot of money, we'll try something. Are you seeing with your new RFPs and, 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 and requests, are these short-term adjustments or are they potentially long-term changes? It's a great question. Um, let's, let's both tackle that one, Amy. So, so I, I think what I'm um, sensing is, A, it's hard to tell right now. It's hard to tell what changes are going to be lasting coming out of COVID-19. I do think there are a lot of structural changes that are they're not going to go back to the way they were per se. And I'm talking broadly about even things like remote work, for example, but they're probably going to go back to some change from where we are today. Um, uh, so there's probably some middle ground where things will go back to. And, and I think that's going to happen in digital marketing too. But I think with this forced change to digital transformation is going to be hard to give up uh, at least entirely. So I think some of these changes that you're seeing in marketing budgets will be permanent because Digital itself is so measurable, and once you kind of get that measurability and you start to get that data flow and you start to count on that data, rely on that data, and change your internal processes on what to do with that data, it's really hard to cut off that data. Data, data is kind of an addiction. Um, you know, once you start to get it, it's really hard to give it up. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's probably a topic we should really dig into more is the trend that we're seeing in terms of accountability and data and analytics and measurements. Um, and how that will drive what succeeds and, and what's permanent in the future. Um, also, what surprised me this year headed into that, well, coming out of RFP season and headed into 2021, I expected to see more pilots, right? More testing, more experimentation of some of these new tactics. So I, I was expecting to see, because digital is by nature, it's it's agile, right? So it's, it's this total, total concept of testing and learning. And we're in an environment right now that's perfect for digital. Um, surprisingly, though, on the RFPs that I've been seeing and the, the programs that we're getting, um, we're not getting a lot of pilots. Uh, we're getting, you know, at the same budget levels, significantly more higher budget levels overall. But even for the new tactics that we're proposing, uh, I'm not seeing that um, a, a relative budgeting as, a, as you, what you would expect from a pilot. So it feels to me that the, uh, the partners are, are understanding that some of these new offerings are the, the next best, you know, they, they might have been innovations in 2020, but they're best practices in 2021 in some cases. Um, and then I think it depends in terms of um, also which tactics you speak about. So native, we've seen tremendous growth right now as more of a mainstay of campaigns for our clients. And I expect that, of course, to continue because the metrics are very strong behind it. Um, I'm also hearing from clients a, a, a little bit of um, more experimentation around video because we don't necessarily have the best practice just yet on how to roll that out and implement it, but um, but the budgets are there and they're strong. And I, I, I'm seeing that, I would expect that to continue for next year. Excellent. Those are, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the data, you know, data, data, data. You know, it's a popular topic um, during our pharma expert panel for AMM in October with uh, Jim DeLash and, and Lori Hancock. Um, you know, we dove pretty deep into advances that the industry is making and, and wants to, you know, further uh, make. Um, RJ, what shifts are you seeing and expecting to continue in 2021 with regards to data and analytics? On the HCP side in particular, this clamoring for uh, physician level data 
um, is, you know, it started a couple of years ago and it has just become table stakes at this point. Everybody wants to know the measurability of their campaign, um, not just down to impressions or clicks or engagements, but they want to know specifically which physicians. Um, and the biggest change we're seeing going into 2021 is the frequency of that ask. So typically, um, we've been sending reports to clients on a monthly basis. And I think with the reps sidelined as they are um, and trying to figure out how do we make uh, interactions and communications with physicians more timely and actionable, clients are now starting to request that data weekly. Um, we anticipate that they're gonna start to want it daily, if not in actual real time as the event happens. Um, as, as they get their marketing infrastructure uh, tuned up and able to accept inbound data, I think that's gonna become table stakes in, in the not too distant future. Um, and then kind of just generally, one of the things that, that I, I tell folks all the time is that you can't hide from data, you can't delegate it anymore, you can't say it's somebody else's responsibility. Every one of us as a marketing professional has to speak the language of data. Data has become the language of business. So you can't not be proficient in that language. If you're going to do business, you have to be able to speak uh, intelligently about data, do some understanding and analytics about data, um, visualize data. Th those are really becoming table stakes in business generally. And if you happen to be very proficient at that, there's tremendous opportunity for you right now because there you can't get enough data scientists and, and really skilled um, labor that, that works with data. Yeah, RJ, I totally agree with you. And what we're seeing with our clients really is uh, a recognition that if, we, if you can't be measured, you get phased out. So our clients, both at the brand level, uh, as well as at the agency level through these partnerships, as RJ mentioned, we're seeing this, this push for more regular, consistent data, potentially even API feeds with our clients. Um, so as they're aggregating more of these data, uh, more, more data into these dashboards, and, and meeting with the executive leadership teams or the brand teams, if you can't be measured, if you're not feeding your data into those dashboards, you get, you get phased out, even if it's what we would have considered to be a solid campaign in the past. Um, if you don't have scale at a level to show up and rank in those dashboards, there again, you get phased out. So we are at a point right now where there is an art and science right around the story and the data and how it all comes together. But if, if you can't be measured and you're not playing that game and giving them the information, or giving your agency partners the information to advocate for you, um, more and more of those, those quality campaigns are going to be phased out. Looking ahead to 2021, what are some of the new KPIs that your clients are asking for or really drilling down on? Yeah, I, I think this is one of our industry's greatest problems. Um, I think, you know, we, we obsess over data. Digital is held to a, a different standard of accountability because data is so accessible. Uh, and we can measure everything, but people have to choose what to measure. Um, ultimately, we all wanna measure market share, right? We all wanna measure the ability to move script, but that's a lagging indicator to your marketing effort. So we do need leading indicators. We need KPIs that can serve as a proxy, but at least from, from where we sit, those tend to be all over the board. It started with impressions, then it went to clicks, and then it went to engagements and it went to key action rates and different definitions for what constitutes a successful um, interaction with with an HCP. But I don't know that enough back testing really happens, um, meaning we should really, whatever the KPI is, 
that it's settled on should be back tested against prior campaigns and, and asked, hey, did this actually prove as a leading indicator to script lift or did it not? Um, people are all over the board on what, on what they're measuring as a leading indicator. Uh, the, the one thing everybody can agree on is script lift, uh, but, but everything else becomes kind of a question. You know, things like, you know, a two page rule. If somebody visits two pages or more, there's a great counter argument to that. You know, some, some people say, well, wow, we got seven pages. That's great engagement. Well, it could be, or it could be really poor site design. They, they went there and they can't find what they're looking for. If you deliver something really engaging, I mean, I, I rarely go to the second page of Google. I go to the first page and I, and I leave. That's a great experience. Um, but we're kind of measuring the opposite. Oh, wow, if we can get them to go five pages deep, we must be delivering better service. Not really. You're giving a bad, bad result. I can't find what I'm looking for. So th those are the kinds of questions I think we have to ask, and we really have to back test our KPIs to understand, is this the best leading indicator? And it is different for different audiences. That, that's the challenge. Everybody wants to kind of find one metric and then apply it across all their clients, but, but different audiences respond differently. And so you need to understand your audience and what truly indi indicates a good leading indicator to script lift. We'll be right back after a message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Tad Van Dyck, Executive Director of the Association of Medical Media, and we're thrilled that you've taken some time today to listen to this episode of our podcast series. For more information about our organization, please go online and visit www.ammonline.org. There you'll find a host of different resources and materials and tools that you can use. It's all part of our commitment to the medical media industry. And if you're inclined, we'd love to have you as a member. You can always reach out for ideas for new podcast series or to let us know you'd like to become more involved by an email to help at ammonline.org. Thanks again, and we'll get you back to this interview. We're back with RJ Lewis and Amy Turnquist of eHealthcare Solutions. Now back to the conversation. Yeah, and circling back to with um, RJ, what you were saying about KPIs and and the trends that we're seeing with with our clients in terms of accountability, you know, I think we can all agree that what we're seeing, while we don't have that that perfect understanding across the board of what should be measured and what it should mean, there's definitely pressure, I think, across the board from our brand partners to our agencies to also our own um, investments internally to really define that gap that RJ mentioned between impressions and then ultimate script lift. So I think part of also what we're seeing is almost an e-commerce-like mentality of trying to get very specific about measuring the value of on-site actions. What are those high-valued actions and what are the values right, of those high-valued actions? As RJ mentioned, we may have a seven-page deep you know, engagement, but what was, what, really, what was the value of that beyond the fact that we know that they viewed seven pages? Um, and so we are seeing that on... Um, also with one of our other native platforms where we work with clients to get very specific on monitoring their cost per acquisition and optimizing towards that type of um, return on investment in ways that are newer this year. And I think that's also been part of, um, in response to what we've seen this year through COVID and losing some of those key valued actions that we had in the real world, right? And now there's pressure on what, what was the real value of, of a rep in the field, for example, did we really know that? <laughs> And that opens up this whole exploratory phase to really think differently about uh, data in the digital realm as well. You know, and RJ, you know, you started to talk about the cookie-less future. You know, it's coming. Um, you know, Google Chrome announced last year that they're starting to phase it out. You know, Safari and, and Firefox, while only about 20% of the browser market, you know, don't use cookies. So it's coming and it's going to change the landscape for, you know, digital marketing. 
Um, you know, RJ, you know, what's the role HCP level data plays in digital media and how does its use change as the cookie crumbles? So the, the crumbling of the cookie is actually a wonderful opportunity for medical publishers. First party data or the data collected directly from the site that you are on as an end user. Um, you know, think about all the members of AMM, you know, the, the, the medical journals, et cetera. They are in a great position if they capitalize on it. And that's a big if because a lot of them um, struggle today with, with, with physician level data. The balancing between servicing a member who's a paying member of a society or an association and the potential perceived um, privacy concerns that uh, come with, with tracking a user and what they do online. Medical publishers and, and the kinds of publishers Amy's talking about, the endemic good quality publishers, I think they actually have a huge opportunity here to capitalize on this crumbling of the cookie. The question is, will they? And I don't know that they will. Going back a little bit to kind of the, the, the fake news scenario, um, because this all kind of ties together with, with cookies. It's easy to kind of say, blame Facebook, um, you know, or blame programmatic advertising or, or blame one of the medium for why we're seeing kind of so much fake news and, and un unreputable content out there. And, but it kind of ties back to what's happened with programmatic advertising, which is the separation of the content that you're on, you know, think like JAMA or New England Journal and the audience. So once you've been able to identify the audience and you know who Dr. Jones is, and you have the option now to buy Dr. Jones when he shows up on New England Journal and pay a high CPM or buy Dr. Jones when he shows up anywhere else and pay a low CPM, once you've kind of separated the audience from the content, the advertiser dollars seeking the kind of lowest denominator in terms of price point basically feed the fake news problem. They, 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 they are Advertisers, I don't think, realize how complicit they are in fake news. Um, when you look at Facebook and you say, well, you know, it's Facebook's problem, who funds Facebook? Users don't pay for Facebook. Advertisers pay for Facebook. There was a Facebook boycott going on for a while where kind of there was a, a movement to say, hey, we, we have to stop this. We're, we're like destroying society because we're funding this machine that is creating fake news. But when you separate the audience from the content, it gives anybody the ability, it's easy to publish online, it gives anybody the, bil the ability to go up and create these sensationalist articles and really spammy websites and create spammy heads, headlines and controversial headlines and basically fake news because it gets attention and attract people to it. And if you've got, and everybody's susceptible to that, even physicians are going to click on some of that stuff and now they can get a high CPM when the physician clicks. The advertiser is getting a horrible experience that they're not even aware of. <clears throat> they're not even aware they're getting half the time. I think advertisers have to take a step back sometimes and realize how complicit they are in this. Um, you know, it's the same thing with um, when I was the chair of the AMM viewability panel and we did a Congress and we talked about viewability as it kind of emerged and advertisers said, hey, we want to hold you more accountable for making sure our ads are seen because we know our ads aren't seen on a lot of pages. My warning to that group was, Beware the unintended consequences of this. You literally, with your checkbooks, are going to force sites to now make very large intrusive ads. They're going to stick on the pages. They're going to destroy user experience. You're going to kill the golden goose of publishers. Where it's hard for you to get people, you're going to harm that because you're changing the payment mechanism. And that's what you have today, right? You have very invasive ads. 
Um, they stick to the website. They pop up in front of you. Um, they're larger and larger because they want to be they want to be viewable. Uh, you really have to take a step back, and then this is kind of a, a an industry problem. And I'm not even talking about healthcare. I'm talking digital advertising problem. It's a large industry problem that advertisers have to take a step back and say, hey, how complicit do we want to be in this? And, and what kind of partners do we want to work with? And what kind of rules do we want to set for them? Because they set the rules. I mean, Facebook is going to ultimately do what advertisers tell it to do. And right now they're telling it more targeting, better targeting, more information. Um, and, and that's kind of how we got to where we are. So, uh, Amy, you know, you've talked a lot about the success with native advertising in the past year or so. What are the use cases for native advertising? So native, where this is working really well, and I think this is why we're seeing such demand right now, is any case where you want to move beyond impressions and move towards engagement. Uh, because what we're finding about native is that it excels at getting not just higher click-through rates and getting clicks, but it, it excels at getting on-site engagement or downstream activity post-click, uh, which is really, as I mentioned, where we're seeing all of our clients moving towards measuring those on-site actions, thinking about high-valued actions, optimizing towards those actions, and ensuring there's alignment with investment. Um, and that's really what we're seeing happening on a consistent basis with Native um, and where it works so well. Uh, why it works so well is Native, and this is important for uh, the publishers that are in our, our community, it's an opportunity uh, it's a win-win for everybody and that it monetizes below the fold uh, trap, below the fold inventory um, in ways that banners can't. So native is not a 50% of your pixels in view for one second or more flash in the pan type awareness play. It's much more deep engagement that, uh, that native can deliver. And it's intentionally designed to be a below the fold tactic. So if we're able to capture, and this is what um, our case studies, we're happy to share these with others, but if we're able to capture a practitioner after they've read an article and they're in the right mindset, what we've, we've presented on this and what we call the moment of next, uh, where they've already engaged, they've read relative, relative content and they're looking for that next thing. There's about a 10 to 20 second opportunity where if we catch them right then, we get, again, not just a click, but we get the deeper on-site engagement. Um, and, and that's pretty exciting. Uh, and the timing is right for it as, as we've discussed through this podcast, because it's right in line with what our clients are, are really pushing us for right now in terms of accountability. Uh, on results. the consumer side with Native, we're, we're also tracking towards um, CPA goals and optimizing automatically towards CPA goals, which basically is real-time ROI for an advertiser. Again, provided you're measuring the right thing, right? Your KPI has to be actually the right KPI to measure. But, but if it is, we can actually optimize towards a CPA goal, which is tremendously effective for the advertiser because they, they literally see every day what their ROI is. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were saying, RJ, about this e almost e-commerce mentality. Thinking through, yeah. once you get somebody to a site, what's the goal right, of that visit? What do you want them to achieve? And then what are you willing to invest to get that desired outcome? And what's the value of yeah. that? Any, uh, any anonymized success story you might want to share of, of a client that may have been a little uh, hesitant and now moving forward is, is really diving into the deep end with Native? From an advertiser perspective, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a significant lift uh, above what other metrics uh, are able to deliver. So we've been compared with different clients uh, along the metrics of, for example, here's what we get on search in terms of key actions. Here's what we get on social in terms of key action display etc cetera, etc cetera. and native when you look at all the total of all the other tactics native has performed uh, over three times better uh, than the other things combined in fact it, it beat everyone individually including search which is pretty incredible organic search uh, as well 
Amy, what's your 2021 forecast? Uh, my 2020 forecast is I believe that we're headed again towards consistent innovation, uh, a really exciting time to think differently um, and a challenge for all of us to be able to put the numbers and put the dollars and the results behind those investments. RJ, what's your 2021 forecast? So I think uh, we're going to get through COVID. Uh, most importantly, I, th I think there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel that I'm very optimistic and thankful for. Uh, and I think we're going to get back to some degree of normalcy. The question is, what is that new normal going to look like? And I think it's going to have residual effects of everything that's happened over the last year and is going to continue to happen over the next six to nine months. Uh, and those, those changes that are happening are likely to stay in some form. The question is, how much will they stay? And I think they're going to they're gonna stick quite a bit. That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation. Thanks for listening. AMM Conversation is the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. Make sure to listen to each and every episode of AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Kindly leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, or share this podcast. We appreciate the engagement. Also make sure to check out the AMM website, www.ammonline.org for the latest information and resources on medical media. In addition to fact sheets, industry research, and special reports, you can watch my monthly healthcare policy update featuring Beltway insider John Bigelow, or the new YouTube series, John Laughlin Viewed Your Profile, on AMM's new YouTube channel. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful day.